0: We are uh, in the middle of our series on end times. And what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is we've looked at our world, what we necessarily don't see, spiritual warfare, what's going on behind the scenes. And uh, you can get... The CD for those, or you can go right online. The whole series is right on LivingWordAG.com, and you can listen to all those. We're also on iTunes, and uh, you if you've missed any of the messages, go ahead and catch up on those. And uh, but the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at at end times and um, what's going on, not only in our world, but what's going to be happening in our world in the future. I, I kind of threw out a challenge to you last week. Uh, to read through the book of Revelation. And some of you have already talked to me and said, Pastor, I've read through it, and I'm more confused now than I have ever have been before. We're going to work through all that today and and hopefully the book of Revelation will make sense to you. And um, if you've not read through it, I'm going to challenge you again for next week. We're going to be into uh, the last part of our series on end times next week. So go ahead. It, really, the book of Revelation, you can read it in a couple uh seedings. And uh, so go ahead and, and read it. I challenge you to do it. And uh, I, I'm excited about these series of messages because th- this one reason, what I love about the word of God and, 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 and about the person of Jesus Christ is, is things aren't hidden from us God has revealed to us how the world began and 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 how are th- and, and how things are going to end and and as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ that gives us great hope knowing that how things started and why am I here and what's the purpose of my life and, and, and how are things going to end. And this should give us great hope is the body of, of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I know the, the the topic of end times is is popular in our world today. There's a lot of movies that talk about the end times, Armageddon, War of the Worlds, um, you know, the History Channel a lot of times does uh, different topics and things on how are things going to end. We, we thought the world was going to end back in uh, December at the end of the Mayan calendar, which has come and gone. And so that piqued a lot of people's curiosity about how are things going to end. But, but the interesting thing about the Word of God is that it gives us signs of, of what is happening in our world today. And how we are to prepare ourselves. And, and Jesus and, and the authors of the word of God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit has given the church signs on what we are to look for in these last days. Now I want you to understand, the moment Jesus ascended up into heaven, he, he said, this is the beginning of the end times. So for, for 2,000 years, we've been living in the end times and we've been seeing signs all around us that things are starting to wind down that Christ is going to return for his church. Let me just give you a couple scriptures here that that talk about the signs of the time. Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy said this. He said to young Timothy, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And, And he gives a description on what these last days will look like. And he says, people will be lovers of themselves, lover of money, boastful pride, uh, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, uh, brutal lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And he tells them have nothing to do with such people. And so what Paul was warning Timothy in the church was to guard themselves against a certain spirit that will be in our world to come against the person of Jesus Christ. And and many of the authors of the word of God talked about this spirit of the antichrist, literally meaning someone who's going to come against Christ. And we know that in the end times this figure will rise up who is the antichrist. And if you Read through the book of Revelation, you saw that figure, and it's actually going to be a literal figure. But what's interesting is some of the authors of the Word of God say that the spirit of the Antichrist is already among us. 1 John 2.18, John says, Dear children, this is the last hour. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. We can see major figures, uh, From Hitler and Mussolini and many figures that were very anti-Christ in spirit. We can see those things all around us, but there will be one figure that will come on the scene that will indeed fulfill this description. Paul, writing to the church in Thessalonica, said, for the secret power of the lawless one is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so until it is taken out of the way. Now, This is what I want to talk about today as we dig into end times. I want to look at what is the significant event that will happen next for the church of Jesus Christ. And this is the way I see it. This is the way I see Scripture uh, uh, unveiling it for us. And what's interesting is the authors, specifically Paul said, that the secret power of the lawless one is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until it is taken out of the way. And once this thing is taken out of the way, this will usher in the the end of the end times. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what is holding back this person of Antichrist? And and there are many who have speculated and speculated and speculated. And uh, I believe that it's the Holy Spirit's power working through the church and it's that power that is restraining the lawless one from coming onto the scene. And when that is taken out of the way, it gives liberty for the Antichrist to come onto the scene. And, that, and this is a major significant event in the end times. And that's what I want to dive in today for our message today. The question that I want you to see today is, what is the next event that will significantly mark the end times and the end of the end times. Now, we know that the spirit of the antichrist is here and that many have been so called antichrist have come and gone and that have directly opposed the truth of Christ, but the Bible speaks of one great event that will usher in the great tribulation and obviously the rising of this antichrist who will come against Christ himself and uh, as it's, as we see In the book of Revelation. And this next great event is the rapture of the church. This is the next major event that is happening in the end times. Now, here's what's interesting the authors of the Bible, many of them, talked about this event 2,000 years ago. How much closer are we now to the return of the Lord? I say we are very close. And and you have to remember, Jesus, until the gospel has been preached to the uttermost parts of the world, the end times will not come. Do you realize how fast and quick the gospel is being spread around the world? That we have avenues and means of media to, to go to places where the gospel has never gone before, just via the internet. You can be you can be in Central America in the mountains somewhere and use your credit card, right? It, you can be a, in, in the middle of nowhere and someone's got a TV set in their little hut or they've got an internet connection. There are ministries and missionary ministries that are all internet-based that if someone just Googles Jesus Christ or the return of Jesus Christ or whatever, they can be led to a website that gives them the gospel message in whatever language the bible is translated in so many different languages now and it's going forth whether it is in hostile countries such as china or vietnam the gospel message is going forth it is rapidly coming to an end and once this message is completely preached the end will come and i believe that we're very very close to this time so i want to unpack this for you and I know for some of you that you've studied end times, maybe you've even been to an end time seminar or a biblical prophecy uh, seminar, and, and you may have a different view than me, and that's okay. I want to remind everyone here that these are secondary teachings. They're fun to talk about. However, let's, and let me stress this. However, this has no bearing on your salvation or the doctrine of salvation. Can I get an Amen. As fun as it is to talk about, it's no bearing on your salvation. So let's not be dogmatic here. And if anyone tries to be, they would be unwise, even though I am right in this teaching. Okay? Let's just... No, I'm teasing. Okay. So listen, I I will have to admit to you that when I first came into Christianity, I was very interested... In end times teachings, this, this was just—it it just intrigued me, and I can remember as a young teenager in my bed reading the book of Revelation, just scared out of my wits because my room was in the basement. That's where my parents kept me, in the dungeon when I was a kid. So they kept me, and then my dad would say, "You're going to be a bad boy. Go in the dungeon and read Revelation now." So it just—it would just. It would just you know, literally scare the H-E-L double hockey sticks out of my life. Okay, so um, I'd be down there. Some of that went right over your heads, but that's okay. I'm down there, and I'm reading the book, and it just intrigued me about end times, and I wanted to know about this. and, 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 And one of the key ingredients to my conversion to Christianity was that something intrinsically inside of me knew that Christ was coming back. And something inside of me and I, I believe it was the Lord, something inside of me said that I was not ready for the return. I knew enough to know that Jesus was only coming back for those who follow him. And I knew that I wasn't really a follower of Jesus Christ. I was, I, I, maybe I pretended to be or maybe to, pretended to really believe in him. But I knew that if Christ were to come back, I would not go with him so this kind of intrigued me and this was a key element in my conversion to christianity was this teaching about end times because i really wasn't hearing anybody talking about it People were just like well you know whatever happens in the future i'm like i don't want to leave my future up to that i want to know what's going on and as i began to read the bible as i began to read the bible as a 15 year old kid i was like whoa these things are happening right now. And it intrigued me. The more I got in the word of God, the more I was convinced that this was God's word. Scholars tell us that more than 20% of the Bible deals with end time prophecy, whether directly or indirectly. Prophecy is one of the greatest evidence for the Bible's authenticity. 300 prophecies alone speaking to the person of Jesus Christ. And not just vague things, but specific uh, things. Where he would be born, to whom he would be born, the kind of death that Jesus would die. And here's the amazing thing. There are five times as many prophecies about Jesus' second coming than his first. So what does that say to us as the church? We need to be mindful of these things and understand the days and the times that we are living, that we are living in. So uh, we need to understand. We need to not blow this off because it's too hard to understand. We can understand these things. And what we're going to try to do today and next week is take the confusion out of end times and try to make it understandable for everybody. The Apostle Paul gives us some direction here when he's talking about the rapture of the church. Some of you may have never even heard this. What is? What are you talking about, Pastor? You are off your rocker. Some of you have been in Christianity for long enough. You've heard this teaching of the rapture. But let's look scripturally where it's at. So if you've got your Bibles or your notes or look at the screens, let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 14 to 18 because the church in Thessalonica had the same question. Because they said, what if, 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 if they, they literally believed that Christ was coming back that day. So they weren't worried about it. They are like, okay, but then they're like, well, what about if people die before Jesus comes back? What Are they lost forever? What, what happens with those people? And so Paul addresses the church concerning end times in their fear about what happens to those who die before the return of the Lord. Now remember this was written 2000 years ago. How much closer are we? Close. I listen, I we we I had a professor in college. When 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 I was studying theology and this one professor, he was just he was just the most godly man I knew. Professor Elliot. He would just he loved Jesus. When we would open the class, we'd always sing a song and uh, Great is the Lord and worthy to be praised. Remember that song, Ruth? That was an oldie but a goodie. He'd always sing that song. and, uh, And then he'd read a scripture. And then he'd start praying. And then he'd start praying. And then he'd start praying. And then revival would break out in our classroom. And I'm not kidding you. At least once a month, we would just pray the whole class. And this is what he'd pray. Lord, return quickly. Lord, prepare our hearts. We know you're coming back. And every time we took a test, he'd say... The test tester evidence is in two weeks, if the Lord tears. He would always say that, if the Lord tears. You, you're, and, I, and so if I was, didn't get a paper done, I'm like, Lord, come back tomorrow. Lord, <laughs> come back tomorrow because I'm not ready. So I used to <laughs> crank it up, Brother Elliot, okay, just start praying the Lord. Comes. And he would just, you know why? Here's what I loved about Brother Elliot. I loved about Professor Elliot. He was so in tune with his Lord and Savior that he knew Christ could come back at any moment and his heart was prepared. What I'm fearful for the church today is, have we fallen asleep a little bit? Every great revival that you see through church history is juxtaposed with the teaching of end times. Every single great revival in church history was always laced with the teaching of end times. Why? Because the church began to prepare themselves. And they began to look at their lives and say, what needs to change? Now, if, if uh, I know some people say, hey, there's, there's so many people that haven't heard about the Lord. And I agree, we need to keep evangelizing and evangelizing. Every time Jesus was pinned in a corner to talk about end times, he always switched it around to evangelism. And we need to evangelize. But here's the thing. Catch it. Listen to me. I think it's great about studying end times, but what what, what can happen is we get sidetracked in, in getting so immersed in end time prophecy that we forget that we need to evangelize today. So here's the balance. Here's how we balance this whole end time teaching and prophecy. Here's the balance. When I understand that Christ is coming back and my heart is so in tune with Christ that he could come back tomorrow or next day, what it does in my heart, it makes me sensitive to Jesus. It makes me sensitive to those living around me that there should create a sense of urgency within my heart. That, God, am I living right before you? And am I sharing the good news of what you've done in my life to others? Do you get that? So the stronger, listen, the stronger the emphasis is on end times and the return of the Lord, the more urgency has welled up in my heart. And that's what Brother Elliot got. Professor Elliot understood that because he was so in tune with his Lord and Savior that there became an urgency in his heart that you know what? Yeah, this class we're taking in school is important, but it's not more important than Christ. That Christ could mess up everything. That that God is on his own timeline and it's not me. Even James says, who do we think we are that we say this year, next year, we're going to go here, there, do this, do that, go here. And we've got our whole lives planned out. That could all get messed up in one hour if Christ returns. Are Are you tracking with me this morning? God... Burden my heart for the things that burden you. Don't let me get sidetracked on these things that I think are so important. Let me not that they're not important. Not that we're not supposed to plan. Not uh, th- those things. I get that. I get that. I get that. For those of you that are Type A personalities and you got your schedule out five years and you got your ten year plan to that. That's what I say. Because let God mess it all up. I say right. So I want to be so in tune with Jesus Christ. That I want to say, you could come back tomorrow. So make my heart sensitive. So there's a sense of urgency that I would say, Lord, let Your will be done in my life, not my own. I'll plan. I'll I'll, I'll try to be studious in those things. Those things are fine, but let me have that sense of urgency, Lord, that You could come back any moment. Amen. Okay, that was free, by the way. Okay, so let's see what, let's see what Paul says of the coming of the Lord, starting in verse, uh, starting with verse. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do and have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though, though Jesus, God through Jesus, God will bring him with those who have fallen asleep, or those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of the command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I love using this passage at a graveside service. Love it, love it, love it. Because it just woo, It gets you so excited that those who have died in the Lord are going to rise first, and I can just see all those bodies coming up from the grave and being changed in the image of Christ. Isn't that cool? Okay, I'm the only one here. You guys are not even awake this morning. Okay, verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Underline that. Underline the word caught up in your notes or your Bibles. We're going to unpack what that means. We'll be caught up together with them, those who have previously died, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air now this isn't the physical return of the lord which he will come to set up his millennial reign his thousand-year reign we'll talk about that in just a minute this is where the lord comes and we will be gone we will meet jesus in the air this is the rapture of the church that christ comes back and takes us to be with him this is giving the this church in thessalonica hope to realize that all your work in the lord is not done in vain that christ will return. So we'll be caught together to meet him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in in the air. And just, boy, I, you know, for those of you that don't know Jesus and you're flying in a plane and the pilot's a Christian, more power to you, okay? Uh, And I think about those word things. So we will always be with the Lord. Isn't that great, great comfort? We will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says this, encourage one another with these words. Jesus coming back. Jesus coming back. You're having a bad day? Jesus is coming back. You're having a bad day? Jesus come. coming. You feel down today? Guess what? Jesus is coming back. And that he says, encourage each other. Don't be down. Don't be hopeless. Christ will return. And so he gives these words to people 2,000 years ago to encourage them in their church. So let's understand what's going on here. The church in Thessalonica was anxious with the coming of the Lord, and their concern was this. What will happen with those who already died? Paul explains to them plainly what will happen and for what purpose? To give them hope that we will be with Christ. And so Paul tells them to encourage each other with these words. And so what, what, what is so encouraging about Paul's words here is, is let me give you a couple things here. And, and, and Paul writes to them to give them a hope and a future concerning the return of the Lord. So he says, listen, they should have hope for this reason, that Christ will return. That's your hope. Christ will return. John 14, 13, Jesus encourages disciples by saying this. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will do what? I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. He's talking about the rapture of the church. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you to where I am. Now, here's the interesting thing about the early church they were ready at any moment for the return of christ they were busy sharing the gospel they were anticipating it and they were eager they, they literally thought that christ could come back at any moment and and this is what raised the concern about those who have already died so they were we were saying what happens and paul says don't worry about that he's going to come back they're going to rise up you're going to meet with those who are alive in the air and you're going to be with the lord forever and so what can we learn from this here's what we can learn from this it is easy to get caught up in the world and the false comforts that, that can bring me temporary release, you know, release or, or, or temporary comfort, but we lose the fervor of Christ's return because I get too comfy cozy with the things in this world. And so what Paul is telling the church there is, don't get comfortable in the things of this world. They're only temporary comforts, but anticipate the return of the Lord whom you will be with forever for those who trust him. Now, I have to admit, when I was engaged, I asked the Lord, could you just wait a little bit longer until I get married? I'm just being honest with you, and he did, so praise God for that. I know Pastor Jim, our youth pastor, children's pastor, is getting married in a month, and I'm sure Pastor Jim's saying, wait a couple months, Jesus, to come back. Um, It's so amazing that this early church was so... Concerned about the return of the Lord, they were asking questions. They want to know, and it showed their heart that they were eager for God to do something great in them. And so Paul secondly writes to them that they should have hope because the church will be taken away with Him, the body of Christ will be taken away, and this is the rapture of the church. and And I want to unpack this for just a moment because I want you to see what Paul says. He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I want you to notice the word caught up because some of you are going to say, well, I looked up in my concordance and I didn't see the word rapture. It's not even in the Bible. Yes, it is, okay? It's in this word caught up. We've got to unpack what that word means in the Greek. This word comes from a Greek word, harpezo, which means to grab or seize suddenly, or to snatch, or to take away. You're here one moment, and you're gone the next. Kind of like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, and she was in her house, and the tornado came, It's like, boop, the whole house went up into the tornado. It was there one minute, gone the next. So the, the word caught up. It's, it's almost like a violent thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's to seize suddenly, or to snatch away, Here one moment, gone the next, and this is where we get the word rapture. You will not find in the Bible, it's the word caught up. It means the same thing, Har- harpezo, and it means to be taken away suddenly. So it, 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 it takes on the sense of being forcibly and suddenly lifted up, and that's the word that Paul is trying to describe to the early church. Now, we have to say, in, in, in the times... Of the end times, where does the rapture fit into the end times? Because, Pastor, I just read the book of Revelation, and I'm hearing about the Antichrist, and I'm hearing about all these, you know, uh, uh, seal judgments, trumpet judgment, bowl judgments, these riders on pale horses. Uh, I'm, I'm just seeing all this. What, what, what in the world is going on? How does that fit in with where we're living today? Well, let me give you three different views concerning the rapture of the church and the end times. Okay, let me let me let me just lay a foundation for you. One of the most significant prophecies ever given about the end times is from the book of Daniel chapter 9. Read it. If you've never read Daniel chapter 9, I encourage you to read it. Daniel chapter Daniel is given a vision. He writes this down in Daniel chapter 9 of what exactly is going to happen all the way to the end times. It's one of the most significant prophecies concerning end times in the whole Bible. It is quoted by Christ, and there's a significant thing that Daniel talks about, that Christ talks about, that the book of Revelation talks about, that you can link all of them together, and it's the rise of the Antichrist. He will set himself up in the temple of God in Jerusalem to be worshiped. Now, here's the significant thing. We're going to tie this all together, and it's going to be clear as mud, okay? When Israel became a nation in 1948, that was one of the most significant end-time fulfillment of prophecies that we have seen in our time. Now I got your attention. You guys started listening. Good, okay. They're like, ooh, cool, Pastor. And here's the reason why. In order for the Antichrist to come into full power and set himself up in the temple, the temple has to be rebuilt. And they are in the process. That's what they want to do. They want to go back to the old sacrificial system. So this is all being played. Is is Israel as a nation? Uh, They're wanting to bring the sacrificial system back into play. This will give rise to the Antichrist as the person to set himself up and deceive Israel. He's going to set up a contract with Israel. He's going to break it, then set himself up to be worshiped in the temple. Now you're going to say, okay, what in the world does that have to do with the rapture of the church? In order for this tribulation time to come, the church has to be taken away, which will then usher in the seven years of tribulation. You say, well, how do you know seven years? Well, Revelation speaks of it in Revelation chapter 11, and Daniel speaks of it in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel has this vision of 70 weeks, and just to make a long story short, the 70 weeks actually represent days, 490 days. And what Daniel does is he breaks up those 400, I'm not days, 490 years. And he breaks up those 490 years in different events that have happened in the future. Now, what's interesting about it is that 483 years have been fulfilled. And there's one seven year period that has not been fulfilled that Daniel had a vision on. And Daniel speaks of that last seven years is the great seven year of tribulation when the Antichrist will come and set himself up in the temple. That has not yet been fulfilled. That is what the church is waiting for. That is why the rapture has to occur to allow this seven years of tribulation to happen. So as you read through this, it's, it's amazing as you read through the book of Daniel, Jan, Daniel chapter 9, how specific these uh, different weeks have been fulfilled already. But there's one seven year period that has not been fulfilled and daniel speaks of this jesus speaks of this revelation has speaks of this so you see 70 weeks or years 490 years and there's a final seven week that has not been fulfilled now here are the three major views that the church has held about uh the tribulation and where the rapture fits into all these things there are those that are are pre-tribulation which believes that the church will be rescued before the great tribulation. Paul speaks of this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, where he says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about that verse in 1 Thessalonians is Paul is talking about end times. So I believe what Paul is saying there is the church will be raptured for before this great period of judgment that god will pour out on the earth there are some that are mid-tribulation they believe the church will be rescued during the great tribulation and that's not as widely held as the third one is probably the first and the the third view are the most widely held and then the third one is post-tribulation where they believe the church will be rescued after the great tribulation and then there's a fourth view the pan-tribulation, which for those who really don't know and are totally confused by all this, it will just all pan out at the end. Okay? So you may say, Pastor, where do you stand in all this? Well, I lean towards a pre-tribulation. And um, uh, and, and obviously other people have scriptures that can support their view, blah, blah, blah. If you want to go through the tribulation, more power to you. Uh, I don't feel like Okay? So... Um, But I believe scriptures really point to this because I believe that God is really not dealing with the church. I'm going to tell you why I believe this, because I believe the book of Revelation points to the church not on the scene during the great tribulation. So one thing I would say, as you read through the book of Revelation, it does give a clear order of how things will happen. Now, John on the island of Patmos when he was exiled there uh, God gave him a vision of what would happen in the end times and this parallels the same vision that Daniel was given uh, uh, many many years before that and they parallel each other wonderfully so one thing I would say is as you read through the book of Revelation there is a clear order this is what we're going to do I'm going to in 10 minutes I'm going to do this are you ready buckle your seatbelts I'm going to give you a whole overview of Revelation in 10 minutes. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you guys awake? Anybody here? Yay, Pastor Okay, right, good. Here we go. Ready? Revelation 119 gives you the whole outline for the book of Revelation. This is what God told John. He said, therefore, he said, right, therefore, the things you have seen, those that, that are and those that will take place after this. So we see the perfect outline for Revelation. The the things that you have seen, the things that are, the things that are going on now, and the things that will take place after this. So in Revelation chapter 1, these are the things that were given to John. These are the things that he sees. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the purpose of the writing of this book of Revelation was these seven letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And and the whole purpose of this was Jesus condemning the church and commending the church. Here are the things that you're doing right. Here are the things that you're doing wrong. Literally to churches that were existing at that time. So if you read Revelation 2 and 3, you're going to see these letters that were written to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Now what's interesting about these churches, they're also applicable to the church today. These are the things that Jesus admires. These are the things that Jesus condemns. And so we need to be awake. So we see chapter 1 and we see chapter 2 and 3, Jesus speaking to the church. Now, here's the reason why I believe the church is not going through the tribulation. The thing that's very interesting as you read through the book of Revelation is that the church is never mentioned after chapter 4, which chapter 4 through 18 is speaks of God's judgment and the tribulation time. You'll never hear the church mentioned after chapter 4. Why? Because they are gone. They have been raptured. They have been taken away. And they're not mentioned again until chapter 19 when Jesus returns with the church for the great battle of Armageddon and Bruce Willis. Okay? So, that... So, very interesting. So beginning with Revelation four one, the term church or churches disappear until the end of the book and the bride of Christ, the church, appears in church 19 already with Christ in heaven. Can I get an amen? This is clear as mud, okay? Now, so we see chapter 19, Jesus returned to the church. We see this battle of Armageddon. And then chapter 20, we see the thousand-year reign that Christ will literally step foot on the Mount of Olives, prophecy being fulfilled. He will come in a physical return and he will rule and reign in the millennial reign, the thousand-year thousand year reign of Christ. Now, the, the best way to understand Revelation is to read it literally. Now, there's figurative language, but we are to read it Literally, Isaiah speaks of this millennial reign of Christ where, where you know, you, you see the, the, the lion, right? The wolf uh, lying down with the lamb. There's going to be no controversy there. There's going to be peace and order in the world because Christ is ruling and reigning over the world for this thousand years. And then after those thousand years, we're going to see the judgment of all unbelievers at the great white throne judgment. We're going to talk about those judgments next week. And then Revelation chapter, we end with Revelation 21 and 22, talking about the eternal state of every believer and how God renews and redeems everything. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, where we'll all worship together. The devil and his angels and the followers of him are all thrown in the lake of fire. Christ rules and reigns and redeems everything and we live with him forever. There you go. Not bad? Was that okay? Okay. Okay, four of you. Great. Okay, good. Now, in this, you're going to say, well, pastors, I read this. What are the, the seal and the trumpet and the, and the bowl judgments? Just remember, as you read through Revelation, each judgment starts with the seal, and they go into each other judgment, the seal judgment, the trumpet judgment, the bowl judgments. Remember, all these things increase as they get more violent and God's judgment is poured out more and more and more and the reason for God's judgment during these seven years of tribulation is for this is to turn people's hearts back to him now here's the problem you're gonna think well okay well I'm not gonna follow Jesus now and then if he comes back I'll say okay Jesus is real and then I'll serve him during the tribulation remember the church is taken out of the way the Bible tells us it's going to be a great deceive, a great deceivement will come over the body of Christ. If, if you can't live for Jesus today, there's no way you're going to be living for him during the tribulation time. And there are those that are going to, to literally shed their blood. The, Bible, the Revelation talks about those of the tribulated saints, the martyrs that have given their blood under the altar for Jesus Christ, that have not taken the mark of the beast, 666 who have literally given their lives. So if, if you can't live for Jesus today, it, there's no way you're going to live for him during that great tribulation time. And just remember this, that when you read Revelation chapter 11, it talks about the last three and a half years of the tribulation will be the greatest of God's judgments. There will be those during the time of God's judgment that they would rather have the rocks fall down on them and die than repent. That's how hard people's hearts will be. And so God's pur- purpose is not just to judge and pour out His wrath on sin, but to bring sinners back to Him. That's His whole purpose, is to redeem man. But He does this. He has to judge sin. God is a just God and a loving God. And he, we live in an age of grace now where, where we can read God's Word, we can know Christ. But for those who refuse and refuse and refuse to bow their knees, they will be judged. Every knee knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to talk about that next week, that every single person, both Christian and and, and unbelievers, will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for their life. So I'd rather do it now and get it right with God and, and not have to worry about my verdict. And remember that Christ paid with his life, For your sin, that whoever comes to Christ and put their faith in him, they can receive God's righteousness and they are now innocent and declared not guilty before a holy God. Amen? And that's where the freedom comes in knowing Jesus Christ. So let me end with this one verse in Matthew chapter 4, verses 36 through 44. And and here Jesus speaks of the end times. And speaks of the rapture of the church and what it will be like and how we have to prepare our hearts as the church. He says, however, no one knows the day nor the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven nor the Son Himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties, weddings, right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. And that, that's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Can you imagine for a, over 100 years they're building this ark, they're telling them this is what's going to happen, and they're all laughing and scoffing, and, oh, it's not going to happen. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden the water begins to rise and people begin to drown. And God judges them because of their sin, because they refuse to believe. Two men, he says, will be working together in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two pilots will be driving a plane. One will be taken, the other left. Hopefully they know how to fly a plane. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. So you two must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready at all times, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. So so here's the whole thing in a nutshell as we study end times. Something to think about if you knew that Jesus would return tomorrow or next week or in two weeks, how would it change your life today? So here's the thing. Once again, Jesus is saying, I am going to return. The signs are all around us. But he's saying, are you ready? Are you prepared? How are you living for me today? Have have you just kind of got lulled into a, a sense of security and in your own life where that urgency really isn't there. And, and and that's why it's so important as we as believers continue to preach the gospel, continue to go on missions trips, because there's so many souls that need to hear about Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. And I think what can happen within the church is we can get lulled into a false sense of security that says, eh, Jesus isn't coming back tomorrow. My house can never get broken into. It's blah, blah, blah. Or... Ah, the the, the floodwaters are never going to come. It's been 50, 60, 70 years. We haven't seen anything. And all of a sudden, something happens. What amazes me is the proclivity of people's hearts to relax and to get comfortable when nothing happens. It was amazing to me after 9-11 how many people flooded into the churches, how many people flooded into prayer group, and then about three to four months later, we go back to our normal lives. Can I get an amen? okay so we live in these end days and the thing is god wants us you know to always have our hearts alert and ready and sensitive and praying and being watchful and guarding our hearts against the things that can so easily blind us and i'm not saying that we shouldn't have hobbies or enjoy our lives that's not what i'm saying enjoy those things but always have in your mind christ you could come back at any moment and, I, and I, am i allowing these things to take preeminence over my life, that the call of your voice and the return of you coming back any, any day has been, has been muted in my heart and in my life. And so let's be prepared as the church. Let's come back to him. Uh, let's come back to the Lord and say, God, just once again, renew that relationship that you desire with me. One of the, one of the things that the Lord had against one of the churches as you read Revelation 2 and 3 is that one of the things that the churches did is that they were great in a lot of things sound doctrine, casting out false teachers but there was one church in the book of Revelation Asia Minor that was at risk of losing their first love and Jesus says to them listen you're doing all these things great you're reading the Bible you're strong in your doctrine you're kicking out false teachers but you know what you're at risk at losing your first love, come back to me and renew your relationship with me. What you had at first, renew that. That passion, that fervency that you had for me when you, were, when you first became a Christian, you need to come back to me again and allow me to take precedence in your heart. What a great word for the church today that we would come back to first love. Amen. So I want you to bow your hearts down and ask the worship team to come forward. And I want to pray for you today. And we're just going to just consecrate ourselves as we, as we sing unto the Lord and we sing this last song unto the Lord. If, if, if you feel so led just to come up to the altar and worship and pray and just let God grab your heart, I'm going to let you come up forward and just pray. The altars represent just dying to ourselves it's offering something up to the Lord that says, God, I'm giving this to you as a sacrifice. And I'm laying this at your feet that you would renew me and restore me. So if you feel so led as we, as we begin to sing, to come and pray, then I'm going to invite you to come up and pray and just worship. So I want us all, all to stand this morning. And let's just thank God for his word today. And let's just pray and ask the Lord just to touch us. Lord, as we come before you today... Lord, I pray that we would fall in love with first love again. That, God, you would restore our hearts here today. Lord, help us not to fall asleep. Lord, it's so easy to allow the comforts of America to lull us to sleep to your voice. And your voice is crying out, saying, church, come back to me. Let me renew my relationship with you again, let me renew that passion that you once had for me. Let, let me renew the thing that you once desired so many years ago. And maybe there's someone here today and they've lost that fervor that they once had. God says, let me restore it again. Don't lose it today. Don't allow the things of this world to mute the passion that I want to give to you in your heart today. So, Lord, I pray that you would renew us today and strengthen us today and let us fall in love with you again today. So renew our hearts today once again to be lovers of you, God, to be passionate about our worship for you again, God, to renew. Maybe we've lost track of our quiet time with you and our Bible reading just because our days have gotten so busy. God, renew our hearts again as we recommit our lives to you. So speak to us today, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord.
1: into die, born out for all mankind God's only son perfect and spotless one he never sinned but suffered as if he did and all of fear,
0: song speaks directly to revelation that the witnesses there overcame the enemy through their testimony and through the blood of Jesus Christ who provided a sacrifice for them that the enemy could never touch and it protects us it saves us it cleanses us and we are now Christ's own we are his children amen so Lord go with us today thank you for your word God, let us just keep falling in love with you every single day, over and over, every day when we wake up and we're discouraged. Let us always have in the back of our mind that Jesus, you are coming back for me. Do not let your hearts be troubled. But trust in me. Trust in my Father, for in my Father's house are, are many rooms, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. I'm going to rescue you. So Lord, bring us your hope here today for every discouraged heart. And I thank you for the promise, the promises that we have in the word of God to trust you. We love you. Just pray a blessing over every person, every single person, every married couple here today. God, just touch them with this word today. And I thank you, Lord, for your church. What a beautiful church it is that you died for. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we ask these things. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's give the Lord praise for his word today. Listen, listen. if you need prayer for anything, our prayer partners will be up front, and we'd love to pray with you. Otherwise, go in God's grace today, amen. God bless you.